The ministry of Jesus was and is a ministry of rescue and redemption, healing and restoration of salvation and new creation. And his ministry of salvation, of new creation, includes the restoration of proper authority, the restoration of heavenly and divine authority. Bishop N.T. Wright says that the Gospels tell the story of God becoming king on earth as in heaven in and through Jesus Christ. And this is part of what's going on in today's Gospel. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. The governance of heaven is coming to a disorderly earth, one subjected to the tyranny of sin death, Satan and his minions, a world desperate for rescue and renewal, a world looking for the kingdom of God to come. And thanks be to God, the kingdom of God is at hand in and through Jesus Christ. In Mark 1, and following, we read that Jesus comes to Capernaum and begins teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. St. Ambrose of Milan commented that Jesus' ministry here in Capernaum on the Sabbath signals the end of the old creation, which had been marred, devastated by sin, and marks the beginning of this work of new creation. Jesus comes to Capernaum, to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he teaches And the text says that the people were astonished because his teaching had a weightiness. It had an authority which the teaching of the scribes did not. And truth is weighty, is it not? Truth is that, one definition of truth could be, that truth is that which corresponds to reality. Therefore, because it's real, It has an intrinsic authority. And this is especially the case when Jesus Christ our Lord speaks because he speaks the truth as the truth. For truth is a person. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. As Jesus is teaching, he's not the first preacher to be interrupted or distracted while he's preaching. But this is quite a distraction. A demon-possessed man cries out. And technically, perhaps a host of demons speak through this man. And it is noteworthy that they recognize Jesus as the Messiah. The demons know who he is. They call him the Holy One of God. And Jesus commands them to be quiet. Why does Jesus do this in the Gospels. Have you noticed in the Gospels many times that when someone identifies Jesus prior to the crucifixion, identifies him as the Messiah, whether it's a demon, whether it's a bystander, whether it's one of his followers, he tells them to not tell others who he is. This is called in Biblical theology, the messianic secret. 
But why does Jesus keep his identity secret? There are many reasons, but the primary one is that the appointed time of his death had not yet come. And the other things that he did in his life are important that he do it. It's battles for him to be won, for him to win. The events in the Gospels leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus are not filler, not just backstory. He keeps it a secret because his appointed time had not yet come. John tells us in his prologue, and we can read that this is the case in the rest of the Gospels, that he came to his own people, he came to Israel, and Israel did not receive him. So as soon as Jesus openly acknowledges his identity, his death would be imminent. I mean, even though Jesus is coy with respect to his identity and cryptic in his teaching, that's part of the purpose of parables, which Jesus says as much. Even with him being cryptic and keeping things secret, there are still, it's obvious who he is to some extent, and there are still times when he has to miraculously elude the Pharisees and scribes who sought to kill him. The first time that Jesus publicly acknowledges that he is the Messiah, publicly, not to the disciples, not to one person here or there, but publicly acknowledges it for all to see, is on Palm Sunday. And five days later, he's crucified. Excursus done. Back to Mark 1. Jesus silences the demons and casts them out. And the performance of such a miracle not only validates the message and the messenger, but is part of the message and mission itself. Jesus casting out a demon is a salvific act. It's an act of restoration and new creation. He is deposing an illegitimate authority and reestablishing that of God's. In this case, angels are to be ministers, to be of aid to human beings, but these fallen angels or demons torment them. Angels are mediators or to be mediators of God's governance and power, but angels in rebellion work chaos in God's world. Thus, by casting out the demons and bringing the man in the synagogue back to health, Jesus is putting things back how they ought to be. He is putting the world right. The church is to participate in and continue the ministry of Jesus. This ministry of redemption and reconciliation, of restoration and new creation. And moreover, we have been empowered and commissioned to do so. What did Jesus say to his disciples in John 20? As the Father sent me, so now I am sending you. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21 Paul writes that, for he made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now we can debate, not right now, the implications of that verse as it relates to personal salvation, and there has been much debate, I assure you, but they are just that, they are implications. In context, this verse 
is about the mission of the church. Go read 2 Corinthians 5. We'll read the whole book. We talked about that, right? When you read a letter, you read the whole thing from beginning to end. You, you know, if you get a letter from someone, you don't read one sentence in the middle and then put it back in the mailbox. In context, that verse is about the mission of the church, that we are ambassadors for Christ, that we are ministers of reconciliation, that we are new creations given a ministry of new creation, bringing the righteousness of God to bear on the world through the preaching of the gospel, through the preaching of Christ crucified to sinners and sufferers, that we are expanding the rule and reign of God and his worldwide family, which is the church, which is the new and renewed Israel, the heirs of the promise made to Abraham, fulfilled completely and exclusively in and through Jesus Christ. All right, so I brought in some Galatians too, but Paul wrote that. So I'm going to end with this. When we look in the New Testament, we find the apostles and the members of the primitive church, of the early church, ministering in a way that is very similar to that of Jesus. The parallels between the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels and the ministry of the apostles in Acts are many. And this is because the ministry of the church is nothing less than the ongoing ministry of Christ. Think about it, that's convicting. If our ministry is not the ministry of Christ, then we're all wasting our time. We should just go get in our cars and turn on the AC because we're all hot. I know that. And do something else. Their ministry, our ministry is nothing less than the ministry of Christ. The disciples ministered like Jesus. Because they had been with Jesus. They had learned from his first hand. The first verse of our gospel this morning, verse 21 of Mark chapter 1. Then they went to Capernaum. Who is they? The disciples he called in the previous verses. Simon and Andrew, James and John, they were there. The disciples witnessed him teaching in the synagogue with boldness and authority. They witnessed him silencing and casting out demons. They witnessed, subsequently, Jesus healing the sick, like Peter's mother-in-law, and raising the dead. And over the course of time, they go from witnessing, observing, to becoming witnesses. The word martyr means witness. And all of them became martyrs. John is what we call a martyr of uh, desire. He miraculously survived his martyrdom, so they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. But the disciples go from observers to ambassadors. They watch Christ minister. They minister alongside Christ. And then they minister in his name, in the power of the Holy Spirit, with Christ in and alongside them, for he is with us until the end of the age. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John get arrested for preaching the gospel and have to stand trial. 
have to go to a kangaroo court before the Sanhedrin. Listen to verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Heard that word today already. And I love this verse, the next one. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. If we're with Jesus, people will take note. Not for our own glory, but for his. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And give you a pat on the back. No, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Those who are with Jesus, those who follow Jesus, become like him. To come in contact with the divine is transformative. It it can be nothing else. God touches you, you change, period. To be in relationship with Christ changes us into his likeness. And this, brothers and sisters, is our reason for being. It's our reason for existing. The Apostle John, who was with Jesus in Capernaum and is with him now, wrote this in his first epistle. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You know Jesus, you're going to walk as Jesus walked. And when we walk with Jesus, our gait changes. It transforms us. The Christ-likeness of the disciples in the book of Acts highlights the salvific work that was accomplished in the incarnation. God became man so that humanity might be saved, renewed, and recreated. And Jesus Christ was and is both fully God and fully man. So as the second Adam, as the archetypal human being, Jesus is the ideal. He is what humanity should be. So we see in him, particularly in the ministry of Mark that we observe in Mark 1, A picture of what the human being ought to be. A picture of what the human being can do when empowered by the Holy Spirit. Moreover, the disciples show that through the incarnation, humanity has been brought into union with God and so that those who are in Christ are transformed into God's likeness. They become holy as he is holy. So let us, brothers and sisters, surrender to the Lord everything that we are, so that we might reach our end, and through us, the rule and reign of King Jesus would come on earth as in heaven.